teary-eyed, thinking about the year that Mark and Dorothy have been through, but the goodness of God, it is amazing. Grateful for Rosa Day. Uh, before I actually have our reading, talk to Eleanor on the way in here, having a tough time. Her sister's very sick and struggling with cancer. And, and uh, been a strange thing where people have been knocking on her door at night in the neighborhood, scaring her. And she said, will you have the church family pray for me? So I'm going to take just a minute. We can all join together and pray and lift up Eleanor at this time. God, I thank you for Sister Eleanor. We lift your sister to you, God. Cradle her in your amazing grace, Lord. Bring your healing, Lord. Father, just love her. And help Eleanor with this fear, Lord, in the neighborhood. May she know, Father, that she belongs to you. May she be able to rest in that, Lord. We just, we need you. And we just trust you, Lord. Thank you for a chance to pray for our sister. Amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'm going to read the first four verses. So when you find Nehemiah chapter 9, if you will stand in honor of our great God. So I'll read. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we need you. As we look at a worship service in the scriptures, we want to worship here today. Father, we can't do that apart from you. Please bring down your spirit in a way that we can't miss him, Lord. Please touch our hearts in a way that we can't reach you, reach us, Lord. God, just move. I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm needy, and I'm not alone. So we just cry out, Lord, speak. We're listening. In Christ's name, amen. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he starts out with a list of famous sayings we know as the Beatitudes. And the second one of those sayings, he says, Blessed are or happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And at first thought, we can think, God says it's a good thing to be weeping and to be mourning, to be broken. But to give some context, go to the previous beatitude. And he says, blessed or happy are those who know, know that they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so what he's really saying about mourning is being broken over your sin. Understanding your state, that you have broken God's heart, that you have rebelled against the living God. And you deserve 
not his kindness, but his discipline. And who wants to stand before a righteous, holy God with his sin? It says in Proverbs 28, 13, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And it's really interesting here, guys. Chapter 9 of the book of Nehemiah is a worship service. And I don't think it was a Baptist worship service. And let me tell you why. We limit it as much as we can to an hour. Maybe now we've stretched it to an hour and a half. But this is a worship service that went on for at least six hours. Six hours. Can you imagine if, well, you guys wouldn't. You'd never come back if I tried to keep you here six hours, I'm sure, because you're Baptists like me. But they were there for six hours in a worship service. Man, that is just mind-blowing. And that worship service took so long because they met God. And, and that's, what we're going to, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And a lot of that worship service dealt with seeing sin and being broken over that sin and confessing that sin. You see, when God shows up, we suddenly see how much we need Him. We find ourselves broken. There's a story about a lady, her husband was dying. and He was talking to her. And he said, honey, I have to confess to you. I have not been a good husband. I have mistresses and I've done things that I'm not proud of. She says, shh, honey, honey. I know, that's why I poisoned you. <laughs> Man, we've got things that we don't want to confess, things we don't want to come clean about. But God says, I can't pour my grace over you. I can't restore you until you admit, until you realize that you need my forgiveness and that you need me in your life. Now, uh, chapter 10 is actually a covenant that's made, but don't worry, I'm not going to read this whole chapter. This is actually the longest prayer in the Bible. Uh, yeah, one commentator said, I think, like uh, 1,150 verses. I'm sure it depends on the translation. Let's just say it's over... A thousand, I said verses, I meant words. A thousand word prayer, a thousand verses. That would be a long, long, long prayer. Now, they were standing for three hours while the word of God was read. And then another three hours, at least, confessing and worshiping God. But I don't think um, that it was merely just reading word for word from that ancient scroll. And turn back to chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 8. And I thought, man, this is a great verse. You know, we preach it. What is preaching? People say, well, uh, define preaching for me. And we have preaching classes. Well, I think Nehemiah 8.8 8 is a great definition of what preaching is supposed to be. Uh, look at 8.8 8 with me. They read from the book of the law of God making it clear, and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So as Ezra the priest 
would read from the law, I believe there were times that rascal would just start preaching. He would be seeking to make clear so that there could be understanding in the law as the law was read. As there, were, there was comments and God would move in the midst of those comments. And after there was this reading for three hours, something dramatic happened. And there was real worship. It wasn't planned worship. People weren't told, well, you need to come up at you know, 317 and here's your role and you have two minutes to share or what you want to share or you get to sing this song at 217 and no after there was a reading hearts were were melted and 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 there was just praise and man they got so happy we baptists don't know what that happy is but i mean they got they got emotional and, and, and happy and there was a time of of real worship and a time of confession before the lord and one another and so as you get through this chapter I've got uh, four words up here we're going to go through this morning. The first one is failure. You see, the service didn't start so good because the service started with a recognition of how they had failed God, how they had sinned. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses. Uh, Verse 15 in chapter 9. In their hunger... You gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. You had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. So obviously this is talking about you know being in the wilderness, leading God's people through the wilderness. And then he moves on historically. I'm going to read a couple more verses. Uh, 16, 17 uh, says, You provided for them during that time, but... They, our ancestors, became arrogant, stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in their rebellion and appointed a leader in order to return to slavery. Verse 26, drop down. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies and then verse 28 this is after they entered canaan the promised land but as soon as they were at rest they again did what was evil in your sight then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them and when they cried out to you again you heard from heaven and in your compassion you delivered them time after time so, so the point is, Ezra was just reading the history of the people. said, you know what, guys? We have a propensity for sin. I mean, this has been going on not just today. This has been going on through generations. And you know what? Ever since sin entered the world at the fall, through the disobedience of that first man and woman, sin has been a part of people's lives. We have a sin issue Romans 3:23 that we've you know if you've grown up in church you've had to hear this verse for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and of course uh, that picture means missing the mark for example if you were an archer and you shot 20 arrows 19 go directly in the bullseye you know but that 20th one ends up in the field 
And so you got 19 right, but you still missed the mark. And, and that's true of all of us. We have missed the mark because the mark of a holy God, we cannot hit every time. We are sinners. We have missed that mark before Him. According to one commentator, 629 times throughout the Scriptures, sin or sinner, some form referring to sin, is used. So sin is no stranger to the Scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're told that we are by nature objects of wrath. Maybe you've heard the story of the scorpion who wanted to get across the pond. And so he went to the turtle and he said, why don't you let me ride on your back as you swim across the pond so I can get across? And the turtle said, what do you think I am, stupid? I know you're a scorpion. You'll just sting me on the back of the neck and I'll drown. And the scorpion says, well, that would be dumb because I would drown too. Because I have to get across the pond if I stung you. I would be committing suicide. The turtle said, well, that makes perfect sense. Okay, all right. So he gets on the turtle's back. They start across the pond. In the middle of the pond, guess what happens? Stinger right in the back of the neck of the turtle. And the turtle starts going into convulsions and starts to go down the water. And he looks up at the scorpion. He says, just one question, why? Why did you sting me on the back of the neck? He said, well... I'm a scorpion. That's my nature. And the truth of the matter is, guys, no matter how we may try to hide it, no matter how we may try to run from it, our nature is that of sin. That is what the Scripture declares about us. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We don't, e we don't really even understand the rebellion against God how we are separated, and what it takes for that to be reconciled, for, for forgiveness to occur. And although there is failure, I love this next part, there's forgiveness. Failure is our problem, but forgiveness our provision. Look at verse 17 of chapter 9. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked. <laughs> And in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Here it is. But you are a forgiving God. But God. Guys, that's why we were able to be here. If it was only the first part, if all I was going, doing was coming to tell you, you're a failure. Well, I knew that. I didn't need a preacher to tell me that. We all, we all have a sickness, a sin sickness. But as I heard uh, John Maxwell say one time, it's so true. Failure does not have to be fatal. Failure does not have to be fatal. There's forgiveness. But God. That's the story of the good news of Christ. But God. And how God has made all the difference. He says, but you are a forgiving God. Man, that's, that's just good to know. <laughs> You're forgiving God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. As Jesus hung upon that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He, he, didn't, he didn't say that after they had confessed their sins and tried to make things right with God. He said that in the midst of their sin, 
because he was dying for their sin. You see, sin means to agree with, to say the same thing about, I mean, confession means to say the same thing about, and to confess sin is to say the same thing God says about sin, about our sin. It's more than just feeling bad temporarily. (laughs) It means to agree with God about it and for there to be a direct change in our thinking and a direct change in our action as a result. Uh, Grace, as we know, is getting what we don't deserve. But God so kind of gives it. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Right? God's mercy, we need His grace and His mercy. So in mercy, God withholds judgment that we deserve, and in grace, He adds blessing that we don't deserve. So how, how can a just, righteous, holy God be gracious and merciful to sinners? That's why we're here. It's the cross. It's the forgiveness made available in Christ. It's the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Man. Uh, let me use this illustration. Uh, see, T.D. Back, TD back there, he can probably understand this one really good. <laughs> Not just kidding, T.D. Uh, has anybody got a speeding ticket? Confess your sin, it's good for the soul, you know, if you... Well, let's assume that, uh, you know, you guy, you get stopped, you're speeding. <sighs> Policeman, he comes to the car. Oh, I hate that. Got to roll down the window. Oh, man. I'm, ooh. He says, I caught you on a speed gun. You were doing 30 miles over the speed limit. What is that called? That's called justice. Man, you're going to get what you deserve, you rascal. You had your foot too heavy on that gas pedal. But what if he was to say, this time though, I'm going to give you a warning. That's grace. You do not deserve. (laughs) You do not deserve that at all. That's that's God's, well, actually, I said that. Actually, that's God's mercy. Because what you did deserve, he didn't give to you, which was the ticket. But... Let's say he goes further, not only not giving you what you deserve, which was the ticket, but can you imagine this? Let's say unexpectedly he reaches in his back pocket, he pulls out his wallet, and he hands you a $50 bill, and he says, have a good meal on me. Wow. I think I might actually like that police officer. (laughs) And uh, let's take it a step further, though. Let's say he writes the ticket, he hands it to you, but before he, you even get your hand on the ticket, he takes it and says, I'm going to pay the ticket for you. That's the cross. That's what God has done. You know, we've had crime after crime after crime, and tickets are, are written, but he paid the price for those tickets. He forgave us for our sin. He took our sin upon himself. And now third word, the word is faithfulness. From failure to forgiveness to faithfulness. And Ezra figures out this great faithfulness of God. Turn with me a couple of verses here. Uh, we'll read, start at verse 19, I mean 18 of uh, chapter 9. 
Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. And drop down to verse 30. Yet for many years you had patience with them, and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. God exhibited His grace and His mercy to us in that kindness shown. Made me think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, um, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. I like that word lavished because uh, it means he, he just keeps pouring it on. We're drenched, totally saturated with the love of God. Lavished with it. Uh, there's an example of that in the scriptures of one of the prophets, Hosea. Ugh, what a job Hosea had. God said, I want to use you as a living illustration, Hosea. I want you to marry a prostitute. He did, and things were good for a short time. And then she was unfaithful, and she was going throughout the whole town and being unfaithful to him. And he was told, you, you, are, you are to go to her lovers and you are to take gifts to her. And you are to seek to restore that relationship with her, even though she has been faithful time after time. And the point was, Jose, you are to be a living illustration. My people have been like your wife, unfaithful to me. And yet, time after time, I continue in my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness to pursue my people. Because nothing can stop the love of God. The one who forgives, no matter what our sin is, no matter how far we have run, we cannot outrun the hound of heaven. As his love is beyond our understanding. He is that great hound of heaven. I love how Isaiah puts it, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. But thankfully, he pursued. Thankfully, he came after us. Romans 6, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Great is our sin, but much greater is our Savior. Much greater is the one who forgives. So often in our perception of love, it's for self-advancement. It's, it's for me. You know. 
I see a woman who's beautiful, and I'm like, wow. Man, she's gorgeous. Ooh, like looking at her, you know, kind of thing. Or I see a car, and I think, I bet that thing can do at least 160 miles an hour. Uh, I don't know if I want to drive it. I might kill myself, but what a car. You know, as I look at it, or I look at something else that I see as valuable, something that's impressive in my sight, and I think, I want that because it will add value to me. But yet, when you think about it, when God looks at us, He doesn't love us because He looks at us and says, well, Todd can add value to me. Therefore, I love him. No. God is not like that. God does not love us according to the value that we can add to His kingdom or to His work or to Him. He just simply loves us because, quite honestly, He doesn't need us. He made us for relationship. We are precious in His sight. As the scriptures say, the apple of His eye. One commentator said it like this, God's love's like the sun. <laughs> you can't stop the sun from shining, but you can get out of the sunshine. You could put up an umbrella of sin that stops you from enjoying the feeling of that sunlight. In the book of Jude, it's just one chapter. Uh, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, you may hear that and you may think, okay, that means I've got to stay in a position where the love of God can reach me. That's what it means to keep myself in the love of God. Don't sin, you know, don't, don't do these things that, that are going to block God from me. But that's really, in the context of the Scripture, not the point. The point is, to keep yourselves in God's love means to stay in the sunshine of God's love, to enjoy His presence, because He loves you no matter what. His love is unconditional. And that leads to this last point. It's the response. The response from us. Uh, drop down to verse 32. Now, therefore, O our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who keeps His covenant of love, do not let all the hardships seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders. And, and he, he goes forth. But Ezra says, now, therefore, God, we've heard your word to us. We, we've listened to it explained. And now it's time for the worship to begin. It's time for the response. God has offered his love. God has offered his forgiveness to us. Now it's time to receive it. Now it's time to appropriate it. Now it's time to make it mine. Now it's time to go to that, as Martin Luther said, real Christianity is all about the personal pronouns. My Savior, my God, my hope, my Redeemer. It is time for that to occur. Drop down to verse 36. But see, we're slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. He ends up going to the next chapter, and it's a covenant. God is saying, this is the relationship I want to have with you. And chapter 10 is all about, yes, God, I want that relationship. I want 
what you want, God. It's like Romans chapter 12. You know, Romans, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is writing doctrine. This is how you live. But you get to chapter 12, he says, All right, boys, you got it? Now do it. Now obey it, appropriate it into your lives. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's time for covenant with the living Lord. Hmm. Heard about a man uh, who wrote the IRS a very interesting letter. He said, I haven't been able to get a good night's sleep since 2000. I haven't paid all my income taxes. So in the letter, he included five crisp $100 bills. He said, I'm paying the IRS back, and if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) As I come to this time of invitation, it's time to be at rest. It's time to have peace. It's time not to live in the guilt of our sin. It's time not to live apart from the Lord God any longer. It's time to come into covenant relationship with a living God. It may be for the first time for someone here who has never understood that God has been pursuing you. That God wants you a relationship with you and that comes only through Jesus Christ. And when we as the church talk about the cross, what we mean is that God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son who came and dwelt among us for a time fully man, fully God, and He took the sin that we deserved upon Himself by dying upon a cross and that through the resurrection, God spoke and said, You are forgiven. It is done. It is finished. What I have accomplished is forever in my Son. And He wants you to have that. And today could be the day of salvation for someone who is here to just bow your heart and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want that new start. I want that forgiveness. I want to know that faithfulness that your pursuit of me. Because here's the thing, man. He pursues us, and then when we respond to him, he's still faithful to pursue us, even when we stray away. We're his sheep. We're his sheep. And that's the second part of the invitation. Maybe you're a sheep that strayed away. Man, it's always good to come home. God never wants us to stay away. We push ourselves away. We think God's ashamed of us. We think God doesn't want us to come home. That's what the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son's all about. He waited. And when he saw him in the distance, he ran his son if you come toward God he'll run toward you let's pray God uh, I am so grateful to be here today with your people that we've been able to look at this church service and father we want some of that in our church service Lord. Uh, God move among us with an altar that is open may your people come and, and just pour their hearts out before you may we respond to the the covenant that you want us to share in. If there's one here who has not entered the covenant with Jesus Christ and and thus forgiveness with the Father, 
the judge. Uh, Father, what a great time for that today, this moment. Uh, just to simply pray, God, forgive me. I receive Christ's forgiveness. Or for those of us in dealing with something straight away, and now's the time to come home. Father, anyway, an altar that's open, a God that's willing, it's a good day. So, Father, may we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.